I am Bella Wood, and this is Removed. This is a podcast where I ask three people the same three questions, and each person picks the next, so I see where I go and what my answers are. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Okay, Kathleen, how are you? I'm doing great, thank you. How are you doing? Good, I'm good. Kathleen, can you introduce yourself and give us your name, where you're from, and what you do? My name is Kathleen Korth. I live near San Francisco in the town of Green Bay, California. And my professional career was as a film editor. However, I am now retired. Mm-hmm. Yep. And we know each other because you're my aunt. That is correct. Yes. So, you know that is the relation. Every time someone comes on the podcast for the first time, I ask them this question. It's separate from the three, but it's just to get you in the mood. So Kathleen, what is your favorite food? Spaghetti. Oh, spaghetti. Yes. Any particular? Specifically spaghetti with meat sauce, like a nice bolognese with some garlic bread on the side. I could eat that every single day. Really? Yes. Okay. That sounds really good. And now I'm hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Especially with the garlic bread. I love my. Oh, yeah. Some garlic knots. Garlic knots. Now we're just talking into dangerous territory. but spaghetti with meat sauce I actually make a really good and I I don't know how you're gonna feel about this a really good vegan bolognese I knew you were gonna say that I could tell (laughs) I could tell by just your I don't know how you're gonna feel about this um some of the best food I've ever eaten especially desserts are vegan oh cool really well the first time I had the impossible burger was with you Yes, and it and I'm I'm actually having a Beyond Burger tonight. Okay. So I I I I actually am even though I love meat, I don't eat it very often. Mm. Well, mm. next time we're together, I'll make the sauce for you. Oh, fabulous! I know. I know. It'll be good. It'll be good. Okay. Yeah. So your first question comes from. Uh, one of the removed Instagram followers, a Mr. Christopher Williams, and he wants, what was your favorite book from your childhood? Uh, my favorite book was Born Free, which is about Elsa the lioness in mm-hmm. Africa, which was made into a movie. That oh, okay. was my favorite book. Mm-hmm. Was it a picture book or a chapter book? It was a chapter book. Oh, okay. And what did you like about it? Oh, I just, you know, imagining what it would be like to live in that kind of environment. And I loved animals and um, it was just, it was a beautiful telling of a human and animal relationship that was about unconditional love because it, it ended up being a three part book. It was born free, living free, forever free, which mm was when they finally had to let Elsa go back into the wild. So, oh. yeah. And um, is this based off a true story? 
Absolutely. Oh, okay. Yes. I didn't know. I've, I've never heard of the book or the movie. Oh my. I know. I'm uncultured. Uh, no, you're just young. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Remember, I'm 68 years old, so. Yeah. Oh, there's Elsa the lioness now. <laughs> yeah. Um, he prefers lion. Oh, oh, I just, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mr. Beans is a is a lion, a lion in his own right. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Okay. Next question. Mm-hmm. What's a musical album that doesn't get enough respect? So like any music album, not it doesn't have to be from a musical, just to be clear. Right. What album does not get wow. It's a really good question because it's making me think. And the reason I say that is because I love music so much and I have lots of music. And I have to say that all of my favorite albums are almost always in top 10 lists. So I think, well, either I have really mainstream tastes or I have really good taste. Um, But let me say that I think the one that I think is a masterpiece, it's considered a masterpiece, but most people are not aware of it, is, a, is an album by an LA band called Love. And it's from 1967. And the album is called Forever Changes. Mm. Yeah. And, you, and uh, I've never heard of it. So again, you're so young. <laughs> Lucky you. I'm starting to think I'm uncultured. Well, um, do you listen to iTunes? Yeah. Okay. If, if I can gift it to you, I'm going to do that when we're off this call. Well, I have, I have Apple music so I can listen. Well, hopefully they have, let me know if they don't have it. Okay. I'll listen to it. But, um, what is it? Why do you feel it deserves respect? Like, is there something in it that you're like, wow, uh, this band. Really you know, cool. it's one of those albums where every song is so good and they seem to blend from one into the other and they use lots of uh, uh, brass in oh. on the album. Um, it, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just an awesome, awesome masterpiece, I think. You know, it doesn't sound like any, you know, if you listen to it, you think, well, yeah, it's rock and roll, but ooh, so much more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. I can't wait to listen. Yeah. And maybe people will listen and maybe it will have a revival because of this episode of the podcast. That would be awesome. Yeah. You never know. Okay. Never know. Last question. Mm-hmm. In your version of hell. hmm what is the food that's being served? Fish. Oh, Kathleen, I always forget you don't like fish. Non mi piace pesce. I <laughs> learned that because when I went to Italy, I wanted to be able to say, I don't like fish. Oh, uh-huh. there's a lot of fish there. Yeah, there's a lot of fish everywhere. And it's not that I don't wish I liked fish because I do think it's healthy and it, it you know. I mean, okay, I'll, I'll be 100% honest here. I can eat a fish stick. <laughs> okay, thank you for that honesty because we were going to expose you. <laughs> and I can really eat a fish stick if there's some mac and cheese going down with it. Mm, that's then, then I can do it. But other than that, oh, 
I mean, I could really get gross and say any kind of organ meat. Maybe I should say that because organ meats, I know, don't even get me started when I hear about people who eat brains. Yeah. Oh, so I, I'll change my answer. Or, organ, organ meats. Organ meat. That, 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 that would truly be, I, I would choke down the fish. I would, but an organ meat, no, I would say, uh-uh, uh-uh. Yeah. So, you know, um, I don't know if you've watched The Amazing Race, but sometimes. No, it, no, no. I hear all these stories, though. <laughs> <laughs> Naked and afraid stories. It's like, no, I hear all these stories. No, that's okay. Yeah. I like to be adventurous in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, I do draw lines at organs. Yeah, good, good. Because I don't want no bolognese showing up made out of, you know, testicles. Well, that's not vegan, Kathleen. Oh, well, that's true. That would not be vegan. It would be maybe plant testicles, technically. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that you would never know. You wouldn't know. Well, if they were plant testicles, and I suppose in a weird way, plants must have some type of thing like that. Otherwise, they wouldn't exist. Yeah. <laughs> well, now we're really exposing yeah, really, the sex life of plants. We've gone off into a whole new direction. <laughs> we'll have to get Brian Brian Boom on to uh, explain. Oh, okay. I pick him. <laughs> okay. You need the next person. You can yeah. pick up and you can ask him about plant the sex life of plants. Okay, oh, I will. God, he'll never shut up. Yeah, come on. And I actually mean that as a compliment. Yeah, Brian knows a lot. <laughs> yes. Well... Yes. Great. Now I don't have to ask you. <laughs> that worked out well. It did. Most natural transition I've had. Uh, happy to provide. Well, Kathleen, I promise I will never serve you organ meat. Thank you. You're I welcome. That. I really do. <laughs> Not that I think you would eat it if I gave it to you. Well, you could slip it in there and I, you know, I might say something like, hmm, hmm. Well, that's not a flavor I'm familiar with, but mm, not bad. And then you'll say, it's eyeballs. Yeah. Like, oi. You know, my mom told me that her grandparents used to like fight over the eyeball of the lamb. I want to say it's a goat's head, maybe a lamb. Yeah, the lamb. I was going to say the lamb. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, that's like a very old country type of thing to do. Oi. I wouldn't be fighting. I'd be like, you can have it. That's fine. Yeah, really. Unless it, it makes unless it makes my eyesight better. No thanks. Yeah. Uh -huh. As two people that wear glasses, maybe we would fight over it. And I've worn corrective lenses since I was 18 months old. So Oh my gosh, Kathleen. I know. I was adorable though, as you as you can imagine. You had glasses when you were little. We were so cute. I know. For some reason, kids with glasses are really cute really cute <laughs> i don't know what it is about having a disorder in your eyes that makes you so adorable but oh no i think what it is is you see this tiny person and you think are they an intellectual yeah oh, so smart. <laughs> that's what it is yeah i think so too in fact i have i'm going to show this to you uh, my my sister sent me these once and said how could you leave home without these are they your little glasses whoa here i'll give you the full on 
actually. Kathleen, those are so these are well, these these I could almost like go out now wearing these and the people would be like, where did you get those? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So anyway. Trendy. Uh, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. I thought you were going to pull out your glasses from when you were 18 months old. Oh, yeah. I no, those are long gone. And when I, one time when I got mad when I was really young, mm -hmm. I thought I would show my mother. It's like, I'm mad. So I took off my glasses and I threw them down the hall. Yeah, I never did that again. I think I kind of got a little, you know, spanking. Yeah. But. Also, it ruined, like, now you can't see. So, who are you showing? Exactly. <laughs> so, that's really funny. Yeah. My mom has saved all my old glasses. You could make like an art piece with them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It would, it would look pretty cool. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Um, well, somehow we ended up at glasses from organ meat, but yeah, which so. we, we went in, we went in the right direction. <laughs> we did. We did. Mm -hmm. um, okay. So we'll talk right. to Brian and see what he says. Oh, I love it. Yeah. He'll teach us about the reproductive system of plants. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Thank you, Kathleen, for doing You're that. welcome, Isabella. we go okay brian how are you i'm great bella how are you i'm doing good i'm doing good so brian kathleen introduced you to the podcast can you tell me how you know kathleen oh well kathleen is laura's a wife mm -hmm. and i know her from several times i mean it's haven't seen her extensively because she lives in california i live in new york mm -hmm. but you know we get together whenever we can and so that's how i know her and yeah. I've always appreciated uh, her knowledge of a lot of things I don't have knowledge of, which is mm -hmm. what I greatly appreciate knowing in other people that I meet. I mean, I meet people in my field, my profession is botany, and we kind of like step in on each other's knowledge. You know, we, oh, I knew that, I knew that. Right? But yeah. she knows a lot of stuff about film and uh, movies and, and television and Hollywood. And, you know, I know I have a layman's knowledge of it, but not really sophisticated so I always appreciate her perspectives on those things yeah definitely she does yeah. she does know a lot about that yeah um cool so to introduce you I know you mentioned a little bit but um where are you from and what do you do well I'm from uh, Memphis Tennessee mm -hmm. which is a state in the United States <laughs> for those of you who may not know it Mm -hmm. And the city of Memphis, home of Elvis. Actually, he's not, he's not born in El Memphis, but he got famous there, mm -hmm. born in Mississippi. Um, yeah, so I grew up there and went to school, um, grade school, high school, college there. I went to Memphis, what was then Memphis State University. Now it's University of Memphis because they upgraded the name oh. and uh, probably the tuition. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. That. Probably. Anyhow, my so my dad was a history professor at that university, and he was the chairman of the Department of History. And so I kind of grew up in the academic realm. We would go on weekends and back. Um, some of your listeners will not know what I'm talking about, but we used 
teachers used to write on blackboards with chalk. Uh-huh. And the, then the erasers would get chalk dust on them and they had to be cleaned. And so on the weekends, my father would have my brother and myself take the erasers and bang them on the curb outside of the uh, classroom building to like clean the erasers, you know, because yeah. you know, the next week's gonna happen. So I, mean, I kind of grew up in an academic family. My, my father was a history professor and mother was a history um, PhD also, but um, was an English teacher at a local two-year college called uh, State Technical Institute of Memphis. Hmm. Um, and she, she had minored in English and could handle that work. Um, she did it because her mom had to go into her nursing home. And she oh. was happy to not work. My mom was happy to be a housewife back in the 50s and 60s, mm -hmm. as often was the standard case mm -hmm. there. But you know, we need the extra income. I mean, I didn't know it at the time. It was just like clueless, right? It's doing my own thing. But so she did that to put her, keep her mom in a nursing home in, mm -hmm. in uh, Birmingham, Alabama, where she lived, her mom. And my mom grew up. Anyway, See, now this is what happens. I forgot for the original question. <laughs> I just asked where you're from, but no, you're... I sorry, I got I started rambling. But you got to okay. control me. You got to you got to control it. I, I'm enjoying it, Brian. So I feel okay, like well, it's, it's, it's good for you. It's good for me. So yeah. And then what do you do? Oh, I forgot that part. Uh, I'm a botanist, mm -hmm. and a little bit of a side story to that. I, I growing up in Memphis, just to continue, and this does lead into what I'm doing as okay. a botanist. I was a, I was fortunate. My mother got me involved in a local museum program called the Junior Curator Program in Memphis, which was to hang out with basically like shadow the actual curators, the scientists that worked at a local natural history museum, and learn from them. And it was like an educational thing. So it was a, it was really great. It was really great, and I really took to it because. It combined my interest in being outdoors, which I got in the Boy Scouts, mm -hmm. the Boy Scout. Spent a lot of time camping and hiking, doing merit badges and things with an academic endeavor, which of course, both my parents were historians. So there's no way I was gonna be a historian. You yeah. can't like, that was not, not gonna happen. But I knew I needed to do something along those lines, I thought. And so this was the perfect thing. I'd be a biologist. And so I, um, took advantage of that opportunity. And my first job offered to your specific question, Bella, how I became a botanist, was that um, they had an opening at the museum in Memphis for a research botanist. Well, I had as much botany credits as I had zoology credits in college. Mm -hmm. I thought, well, I can apply for that. I can do that. And so I applied and got it. And I made the grand sum annual salary of $10,000. Whoa, that's a lot, Brian. That's big money in 1978. Yeah. And so, I mean, but just as I was thinking, oh, I could buy a house with, I could, I should get a house. <laughs> I mean, it was crazy. But anyway, I, I never did. But I mean, it was very heady to get like an actual job at, you know, whatever I was, 19 years old mm -hmm. and like that. And it was in college, which is why it took me five years to get my bachelor's degree. Okay. So thought, oh, so you were a slow learner or something? Or what did you do? Did you, what were you, you know, going <laughs> to the racetracks in Arkansas? What did you do? <laughs> I said, well, no, I was working full time yeah. at the museum in Memphis. And so it took me five years to get my bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. 
1972 to 1977 was my bachelor's degrees. And so the, the answer to your question, long version, but the short version is I had a job offer and it was fascinating to work as a botanist. And I was interested initially in oceanography and, and marine biology and in the marine environment when I was the a curator, a junior curator at the Pink pa at the museum called the Pink Palace Museum in Memphis. But I realized, in case you have noticed, I have glasses. Yeah. And I don't see the thickness of these glasses, but they're very thick. And I knew it was always going to be a problem to work underwater. I know you can get goggles. People tell me, oh, you get the, the lenses ground, you get the whole thing. Yeah. And then you got to take the mask off. You had no lenses. You got no, you know. I thought being in the marine environment was going to be tedious. Mm -hmm. And I could find just as much interesting things to do with terrestrial life. Mm -hmm. And so I became a botanist and it paid $10,000 a year. And that's, that's Big real money. money. Yeah. So I pursued a master's in Knoxville, Tennessee and a, and a PhD in New York and the New York City University of New York, which had an affiliated program with the New York Botanical Garden. I just sort of stayed. I got lucky. I got a postdoc there and a, in a curatorial position there. and retired a year ago as a vice president so not a bad wow. not a bad run not bad talk about working your way up exactly i went up the food chain and yeah. well i we, we could do a whole other segment on the food chain of careers but i'll, I'll let you ask the questions <laughs> okay well that was fascinating and i actually i didn't know how you got into botany, I just have always known that you're a botanist because Aunt Liz does like to brag about your botany status. Well, she overstates it, but I'm, uh, that's, that's fine. That's, that's the fine. <laughs> I, I'm going to believe what she says. So, okay. Okay. Um, so this isn't one of the three questions. It's just a question that I start people out on so they kind of can get in the groove. And that is all my first timers answer. What is your favorite food? Oh, this is to relax me. So you know, you're asking me these hard questions. Can it be like a like it has to be a one word, or it can be like a dish. It can be a dish. Some people go on the dish route. Some people just pick a food. So it's up to you. Beans and pasta. Beans and pasta. Yeah. See, it was originally beans and rice because I grew up in the tropics. Mm -hmm. in South America and beans and rice. And so right. I've kind of evolved to beans and pasta, but I can go with beans and rice. I'm, okay. I'm kind of, I'm not prejudiced. Okay. My, my, I'm, uh, you know, I have an open mind to starch. Mm -hmm. Starches are our friends. Oh yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then I throw some, um, I know from Liz, I can't call her, um, which she, she calls it gravy. It's basically red sauce. It's tomato sauce, but she calls uh -huh. it gravy because it's an Italian thing. Yeah. But uh, makes her happy when I do that. But it's basically, um, you know, Newman's own uh -huh. product product placement. I uh, get a little <laughs> commission. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. No, um, not at all. No, exactly. And so that's great. Put that in there and heat that up and stir it and you're, you're good. And oh, and then some sprinkle some Parmesan cheese on top of it. Of course. Of course. I'm going to have that after our interview tonight. So I look forward to that. Nice. I'm looking forward to the rest of the interview, of course. Of course. I don't. I don't know if I've ever had anyone go to eat their favorite food after answering this question. So it's pretty. It's a pretty big deal. Oh. Um, and I've never had anyone answer beans and pasta. You are the first one. 
it's a lot. Yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with it. No, not at all. I mean, I love pasta fajol, bean soup, and that's pretty much beans and pasta in a soup. So, what do people mostly say about it? They say, "Oh, I like eggs," or I "Like steak," or I "Like." Um, so eggs, eggs and steak have both been an answer. Yeah, but I think the most frequently answered is pizza. Well, I'm not. I'm not opposed to pizza as long as it's got beans and pasta on it. I mean. Oh. <laughs> I, yeah, they, they don't know how to do that. So no, they don't I haven't seen it yet, but if I do, I'm going to send you a picture. Oh, the worst. I was speaking of pasta pizza. The most bizarre pizza I've ever had was in Brazil in the Amazon in Manaus, Brazil. You go to the local pizza place and they got pineapple on the pizza. Yeah. They have that here too. You don't have they to put go the local. They put the, like the local fruits and nuts on the top of the pizza. Oh, I don't like nuts. on. Pizza. Can you, can you give me like a, Pizza without the trimmings. Yeah. <laughs> I try to be polite, but they're trying to like, you know, jazz it up a little bit. Yeah. I see that. I don't, yeah, I don't. So I actually do like pineapple on pizza, not by itself, but one of my favorite things is pineapple and jalapeno. Okay. Oh. That's pretty weird. We're gonna have to do an interview about that later. Okay. It it's the perfect like balance of so you get the sa- the savory and salty from the the pizza and yeah. then you get the sweetness from the pineapple and then you get the spice from the jalapeno. So it all blends together very well. Wow. Makes me makes me sleepy just to think about all that. <laughs> well, I'm glad it all works. Yeah, it does. It's not for everyone, but melange, melange of um, Exactly. Exactly. Flavors. Okay, so beans and pasta. Um, there actually will be a food question at the end of this interview. Okay, good. I love food. Okay. So the first question is, what is your favorite book from your childhood? Oh, well, that's that's tough. I had a lot of, my parents were academics, so they bought me a lot of books. And so I had a lot of books floating around. I still have them all. I saved all the ones that care I cared about. Um, I would probably say, since the answer has to be only one, Mm-hmm. I would say uh, Henry David Thoreau's uh, Walden. That that book really kind of set the tone between, well, really what I became really a, as a professional because it was about natural history, but it was in a literary sense. You know, it was it was like humanizing nature, mm-hmm. right? He wasn't a trained scientist, but he was a, a keen observer of nature. Henry David Thoreau, mm-hmm. and so he was he wrote. So my parents bought me, of course, the, the single like a bridge volume, but on one of my birthdays, he bought me these like massive two volume hardbound, like reproductions of his entire journal. Oh, cool. was journal, which I can't say I read entirely because it's like it's like two Manhattan phone books. Yeah. Uh, but I, I dip in, I dipped into it and I felt actually sort of empowered and gratified just to have it, to know I had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but the sense of it was the Henry Davies throw, throws a Walden, uh, and that's my final answer. Okay, final answer. Uh, I've never read that book, but if you recommend it, if I see it, I might pick it up. It might it might arrive in your mailbox. Oh wow! These things, stranger things have happened. Stranger things have happened. Um, beans agrees. I don't know if you just heard Mr. Beans, but he meowed. Um, okay. 
Next question. What's a musical album that doesn't get enough respect? Oh, wow. Well, <clears throat> see, that's that's tough for me because I'm not like plugged into popular culture as much as to know what gets respect or not. So maybe I'll just answer it what I don't give enough respect. Okay. To it. And I have to say, I recently heard a couple of interviews about a new book out called The Storyteller mm -hmm. by the drummer of Nirvana. Uh-huh. And then he was the founder of Foo Fighters. Oh, I didn't know that. And this book called The Storyteller, I've heard a couple of interviews on it. It was on um, Terry, <clears throat> excuse me, Terry Gross interviewed him. And mm -hmm. then he was on the New Yorker Radio Hour just like a couple of days ago, a few days ago. Uh, he's he's like an amazing guy. He's, sorry, what was the question? What, of, of the album. Well, it's not just one album. It's not just one album. But it's like a, like an artist. Maybe it's like, I'll turn it around a little bit. Okay. Like an artist that I think maybe he's been famous and everyone who's listening is going to hear this. Mm -hmm. You got to be kidding. This is new to you? Yeah. But I didn't know his name because I wasn't, I mean, I knew Nirvana. But like the drummer is always in the back. The drummer is like drumming. Right. Like he's not, wasn't the lead. But he was very important. <clears throat> you should get you should get that book and you should hear some of these um, interviews that he gave the New Yorker Radio Hour and Fresh Air with Terry Gross on NPR <clears throat> because he was he's like um, both of his parents were uh, writers. Mm -hmm. but he grew up in a, like a literary household. And so he 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 speaks. He could have been an English major. Right. But yeah. he was like and maybe he was. I don't know exactly that. But he was like, a, he was like, he doesn't read music even. He's one of these musicians that doesn't read music. Wow. And he listens and he says, you know, his thing is that he hears, he sees the sounds. Uh-huh. And he can hear a drum riff mm -hmm. and he can reproduce it because he sees it as he's hearing it and then he can reproduce it. And so anyway, so, so that was pretty interesting. And I think, at least for me, I just had the huge underappreciation for that effort and you know and then I, got, I came to know the Foo Fighters when I would used to watch David Letterman mm -hmm. he was David Letterman's favorite they were David Letterman's favorite band oh I didn't know that and after David Letterman had I guess he had at least one maybe two surgeries for heart attack mm -hmm. heart surgeries uh he had them on they came on and they and they played because they liked being on and he liked them and he, they were his favorite band, the Foo Fighters. So I would probably say it's a stupid answer if you're saying what is the least appreciated album or music because most everyone appreciated it. It was the least appreciated by me. Okay. I would say me too because um, what is what is his name? Uh, so I knew you were going to ask that. Um, I'm drawing a little bit of a blank on that. It's not... Oh, you can Google it. You can Google it. I am nervous. I'm nervous to ask because if I get this wrong, whatever. It's not David Grohl, is it? Yes. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. Correct. I, I didn't know who it was. You win the answer. That is okay. the answer. I'm just because I'm old and I can't remember stuff. But I would. I was so impressed with him. Um, his. I mean, I, I didn't see. Like, there were no visuals of the interviews, but he was so eloquent. You mm -hmm. know, in speaking to these interviewers. Um, I guess it just didn't fit my typical stereotype of a, like a rock and roll guy. Yeah. You know, like, 
I mean, he looks like a rock and roll guy. He's got tattoos everywhere. Yeah, he definitely does. I've seen him in pictures. But he he speaks like an English professor. Mm-hmm. It's like crazy. Yeah. So that was that was like wow. I was blown away. I was so I really became interested in getting that book. In fact, Liz um, asked me to write that down. We heard the interview, the storyteller, and get that book. So Ooh. I'm gonna get it to her for Christmas. Don't tell her. Ooh, I won't. And this probably won't come out before Christmas. So. Uh-oh. You got okay. to bleep that part out of the interview. Yeah, I will. <laughs> yeah. You're probably good at bleeping, right? Yeah, I am. <laughs> well, that's cool. Yeah, I didn't. That's definitely not what Kathleen said. And I, you know what? I would say you're right. Knowing. Well, I would say he does get a lot of attention when it comes to if you're really into that genre. Yeah that the food fighters are in, which I would say is like hard rock. What do you call that? Yeah. Well, he called it, I don't know, punk rock, hard rock. He started in punk rock. I don't know what even that means, but he's a rock and roll guy. Okay. Yeah. So I think if you, because I've never really liked the food fighters. So I guess I'm not giving them the respect. Right. Okay. So, yeah. And I've never, I did not know he was the drummer of Nirvana either. Yeah. Yeah, you, talk, you you read in the book and in the interviews, you would hear, if you hear the interviews, you might get interested to read the book because it was really fascinating how he evolved from, you know, he started his own, he left home. Yeah. When he, he when he was, like every, everyone does, all these mm-hmm. guys leave home, the women leave home. And he became, and he started his own band, one a punk rock band, you know, they got like no name band. Yeah. But they had a name, but you know, one ever heard of it. Mm-hmm. And then he interviewed, there was, a, there was an opening for a Nirvana drummer and connections say, oh, you should apply. He said, no, I don't, you know, and he did. Uh, um, when Kurt Cravain called him up, mm-hmm. he, said, when, he said, why don't you call, why don't you call him and go see him? And so he did. And they hit it off, I guess. And what David Grohl said, because he didn't read music and the way Kurt Cravain worked as a musician they didn't mm-hmm. really like write stuff out. Yeah. Composing songs. But he said he would, so that he would be in front, the lead would be in front with the guitar mm-hmm. and he'd be in the back with the drums. That's the way it always is on stage. He would watch his Curvain's foot as his foot was getting closer and closer to the pedal mm-hmm. that produced some kind of like loud noise. Mm-hmm. He knew he was needed to, he like would start pushing the drums, heating the drums in a rhythm when he got that close. So he said, that's how he made the music. He would watch wow. Kurt Cobain's foot. That's crazy. That's fun. It's fun to know that little kind of thing. And I think that, that I, I haven't seen the book, but I think it's fun, full of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's awesome. That would be really interesting. Sometimes it takes a lot for me to pick up a book in a subject area that I'm not initially interested in, but even listening to these stories, I find interesting. So I would probably like it, yeah. That's cool. That's awesome. Um, All right. We're going to go back to food. This is the last question. In your version of hell, what's the food that they serve? Oh, okay. Oh, gosh. I think. Asparagus. Asparagus? Yes. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. What is it about asparagus? It's slimy. Really? What asparagus have you been eating, Brian? Slimy asparagus. 
I guess so. I don't know if I would ever, you mean when you bite into it, it's kind of slimy? Oh, no, I didn't mean asparagus. I said, I made the wrong word. Okay. Spinach. 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 Because that, that, that is very slimy. Yeah. Spinach yeah, can spinach. be slimy. It worked for Popeye. You know who Popeye is. You're too young. Yeah. But Popeye I, the sailor man. Yeah. Yeah. So he ate spinach. He ate a can of spinach. It was mm-hmm. product placement by the spinach industry. I'm yeah. Sure. But anyway, um, I don't know. I never, I mean, if you hide it well enough, I can eat it. But if, if it's like front and center, I'll just fast. <laughs> wow. That's very interesting. Spinach. Cause I feel like spinach is a pretty common ingredient. It's so, it's so common and it's so healthy. Yeah. Like it everyone is healthy. else you've interviewed would probably say that is my favorite food or at least top. You know, I'm not a very, you know, I'm a healthy person. And I just don't think that, you know, it's, I mean, I take vitamins, multivitamins. Mm-hmm. You know, when you get old, you can take a big like horse pill vitamin, multivitamins, one a day. You're good. Oh, well, that's good. Maybe I should start now. Well, don't start, but I'm just saying, I don't, I don't worry about missing out on my spinach vitamins or my whatever vitamins, because I take a multivitamin, mm-hmm. which may be cheating in a way, but you know, you need to take shortcuts. Yeah. And, it's a big pill and it's got everything and I take one a day. So I don't really sweat the doing the math on a little bit, not enough A or B or D or C or G or whatever vitamin. Right. Um, I mean, I know a lot of people are into that, analyzing it and think about it. And that's great. And if you can combine knowing that with flavorful foods that you love and are easy to get and are good for the earth, Mm-hmm. You know, not just destroying anything. That's great. But I guess I'm just a little, um, I kind of short circuit the process with just taking the multivitamin. Yeah. And then I, then I forage. Because that's okay. actually kind of how I worked in South America. You know, you don't, you don't get like, um, they don't show up with a menu, you know, for. What? For, <laughs> there's no menu. There's no menu. Oh my gosh. You got in your pack. And so, you know, you go with what you got. And so, oh, so one of my favorite foods, I should have mentioned this. My favorite food was taught to me by my major professor. It's called grease cakes. Mm-hmm. Grease cakes are like, you're not impressed. Grease cake, you will be. Grease cakes are like pancakes. Okay. You don't have pancake batter. So you make them out of stuff you got. You need flour, uh-huh. flour water, water. Uh, we flour and water. Um, that's that's pretty much, and and then you stir that up and make a batter. Okay. Right, and to that you can add nuts and raisins, and you and you make it like a batter, like pancake batter. Mm-hmm. But you don't have anything to make it rise. You see, so it's kind of flat. But then you then you put honey on it when it's cooked. So grease cake and a lot of grease that you yeah. cook them in like oil. But this is like an invention. When you're like making do with what you got. Like when I was living in Bolivia, I would buy honey. I was living in the forest in the hammock. Um, honey from the local indigenous people that would collect it from the bees, from the trees the bees are making. So you yeah. put it in an old bottle, like an old rum bottle or something, and here's the honey. You want to buy it? So yeah. And that was the sweetener. You know, and so grease cakes were kind of um, an attempt to be a little bit um make you feel at home yeah in the forest 
said, oh, I had, I had grease cakes for breakfast. As mm-hmm. long as you don't really know how basic they are, it's, it sounds okay. Yeah. It's okay. But, you know, I got, I'm not, a, I mean, if you're, at, you're asking questions a lot about food and I'm probably like off the charts wacko from what you mostly hear. Because I ate uh, tuna fish and rice uh, for like five months every night. Oh my gosh. Canned tuna? Oh yeah. You open a can, dump it into the rice, stir, Uh eat, eat. Repeat. Yeah. And if it's tuna and oil, that's extra special because you got like a little lubrication in there. Yeah. If you don't have that, maybe you like put a couple of shots of um, vegetable oil in if you got it. Mm Mm-hmm. What about salt? Did you have salt? Uh, yeah, salt. You had salt pretty much. That's good. Yeah, that, that adds a little spice and sometimes pepper. But, you know, it was very basic, very basic sort of um, survival food, really. I mean, a lot of people would probably not like any of that. But it wasn't really what I was focused on. I was focusing on getting the work done. And, you know, I wanted to, and I needed to have food to have right. energy to do the work. Right. And it, it was nice if it tasted well. So mm-hmm. lunches were, so breakfast were grease cakes. And lunches, we typically open a can of Vienna sausages. Oh. Now, the reason you do that, here's the, here's the, the thing about that. Uh, they're individual units. Mm-hmm. They make, what is it, for like seven in a small can. So if you're working by yourself, you just eat them all. But if you have one can and you got two people, okay, you got to divide them up right at the front of lunch. Yeah. Because if you just wait for some, someone that eats faster, uh-huh. we'll take five sausages. Yeah. Because they're hungry. Yeah, exactly. And, they're, and unscrupulous. Mm-hmm. And then you're left like eating three and then you're hungry and upset. Yeah. So basically what we learned to do is, and that's why it's good to have units and not just sort of a can of tuna. It's mm-hmm. kind of... You know, but you discreet. Okay, here's your four. Here's my four, or three and a half, three and a half, and and then you're good. Mm-hmm. But it's it's not good when you have like a minimum time for lunch and minimal food to have to like dance around it. Yeah. And just to add a little flavor to that little story about Vienna sausages, my favorite Vienna sausages lunch story in French Guiana with my former mentor Scott Morai, who passed away last year. It's very sad for me. He taught me everything I knew about tropical botany. Yeah. Uh, we're in French Guiana and we're doing this inventory up in this mountain in the rainforest. And we, we had the French, we had the Vanna sausage um, menu for lunch. Mm-hmm. And we, we open them up, we eat, eat our things. And out of the corner of our eye, we both see it, just a flash. And it was a, it was a jaguar. <gasps> it just went across our field of view. And oh so it was like in our, it was like so close to us it really, my heart started to pound because these animals would eat you in a heartbeat. Yeah. Like a Vienna sausage. <laughs> You're the so Vienna sausage. On the same mountain, which is called Mont La Fume, is in French Guiana. And it was up, it was one of the highest mountains in the area. We had a, a field camp up there and we're doing a forest inventory. And so um, we had a fire going and had our hammocks up under a tarp. And we had mosquito nets around the hammock. So we're all set up, everything, mm-hmm. cooking dinner. And we're in our hammocks, and all of a sudden we both see around the perimeter 
two, two eyes looking at us. My gosh. And there was a jag, we, we knew it was a jaguar, it was watching us from the perimeter of the camp, not coming into the fire. This mm-hmm. is like a little small area, right? So it's maybe yeah. like 25 feet perimeter. And we're in the middle in our hammocks under this little tarp. And you got a fire going. So we, we stay up all night. We kept mm-hmm. the fire going, throwing wood on the fire, keep the fire going. Hopefully that would keep the cat away. And it did. We didn't die. But it watched us for most of the night. That's terrifying. I know. That was our scariest night. Oh, my goodness. And yeah, you we didn't were, have we, any way to call anyone, right? We were almost Jaguar. There's no one to call. Well, first of all, before cell phones. This was 1983. Right. When were you born? 1995. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. 12 years before I was born. Yeah. Well, we, that's where we were. And there was no phone. There's, you can't call home. You can't do anything. You just die. You'll live or die. That's what it was. And we got lucky because the cat probably amused by us and didn't like the fire. Yeah. That's probably our saving grace. Um, and it also, we were in its territory. You know, mm-hmm. we were up, like, what are you guys doing here? Yeah. You know, this is my zone. Oh my goodness. This was true wilderness. This is the most wilderness area I've been in. If you or anyone listening to this uh, podcast want to go to like the most amazing in the new world tropics, wilderness uh, that is accessible by plane, Mm-hmm. You can you can fly to Cayenne, uh, French Guiana, mm-hmm. and then which is in the northern coast of South America, and then from there fly on Air Guion, uh, if it if it still exists, or some plane that flies down, uh, like forty five minutes to the town of Saul, S A U L, and it's a little town uh, with a land, dirt landing strip. And there's a lot, there's like rustic lodging. So you, tourists come down. We met tourists. Mm-hmm. French used to go there a lot, Germans and French, Europeans mostly back in the day. And so we'd, we'd have dinners sometimes at night back in the base camp mm-hmm. with um, German or French tourists a lot, a couple of times Americans. Uh, and it's for na- nature uh, adventure tourism. You know, there's tons of, there's trails, there's well-marked trails. You can see amazing wildlife, animals, You'd be lucky to see a jaguar. They they mostly see you. You don't see them. But you'd you be lucky. Birds, I, I don't. I don't know if I would feel lucky. <laughs> yeah, no. We see monkeys and you know howler monkeys. You hear the howler monkeys. Cool. Spider monkeys, birds, toucans. Oh my gosh, takes me back. It's so wonderful there. So uh, French Guiana, it's like an amazing wilderness area, and it's part of a national park. And one of the things I want to mention in French, it's part of France. It's an overseas territory of France. And my advisor, whom I mentioned, Scott Morey, was one of the people instrumental in creating the, making the case, the scientific case for the biodiversity of the region of why it deserves to become a protected area. And mm-hmm. so it is now a protected area. And wow, that's amazing. The largest, one of the, 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 I forget the exact claim to fame, but it's like a, a huge national park, our protected area in South America. South American rainforest, north of the Brazilian Amazon. So we're part of the Amazon, but if the French Guiana is the political entity that it's in. Yeah. So anyway, it's a great, it's a great area. And so I, I'd recommend anyone that is, is game for it. And um, it's, it's, it's not, it's not for everybody. You know, you have to like, if, if you, do, if you don't, 
if you can't go hiking in the Adirondacks and camp out, you don't want to go there. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I'm as brave as you, Brian, not, to be honest. It's pretty, it's pretty great. It's great. I mean, if you want to, if you want to dip your toe into the Amazon rainforest, a la Francais, mm-hmm. then this is your, this is your destination. All right. You never know. I mean, to me, it sounds very exciting. I just, I, I would probably practice in the U.S. first, doing more wilderness stuff before I just dipped my toe. Yeah, in the rainforest. But um, I could see my sister doing it. Well, you could dip your toe in there to get bit off. That's the thing. About I know. It. I know. <laughs> I don't really have a death wish right now. No, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. But there. But if you. I mean, it's no, it's not without danger with for sure. It's not without danger, but, um, but it's manageable mm-hmm. with the right, you know, or you can get guides and stuff. Yeah. You can see really interesting nature that, that you only read about in National Geographic. And yeah. You can see this stuff uh, in, in real time. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the one, of, one of the more amazing things my advisor, Scott Moray, and I saw along the trail one day was in the middle of the day, we were probably sitting eating lunch and we saw this. It was a big wasp. I mean, like a big wasp, like four to five inches long. Oh my goodness. Fighting a tarantula. What? And this tarantula was as big as a small plate. This uh. was like this big. And these wasp, this wasp and tarantula were in a death fight. What was going on was a very normal thing for them. Yeah. We were just witness to it. But what happens is the wasp wants to lay his eggs in the tarantula in the tarantula and then they develop there and the tarantula dies uh-huh. the eggs patch and the uh larvae of the wasp eat the inside of the tarantula that and is fascinating and then it, they emerge as baby wasps well if that's not the circle of life i don't know what that it is. is such a circle of life and the one the episode we saw of that circle of life is that the wasp one? Ooh. It doesn't always win because a tarantula is not a casual spider. Yeah, it's and you said the size of a plate. So yeah, they're very famous, the size of the plate. I mean, they come in all sizes, but this one, this one's a particularly well small plate. I mean, it's not like dinner platter, but you know, it's eight um, any plate. size plate that's big enough for me. Plate. I, yeah. So that was like a that was a fight to the death. Oh my god. But goodness. it wasn't really the that's not the real big, the big picture story was it was a fight for life because it yeah. gave, it gave the wasp life. Right. That's the only place these wasps, babies can grow. That's fascinating. Yeah. It's all kinds of stories like that. This is one big dramatic one and stuff, but we studied all kinds of cool things in that forest. I was there for nearly half a year. Wow. In 1982. I like to say it's when I became a tropical botanist because I became kind of at one with it and comfortable with it and um it's what it, it was like it was what it was mm-hmm. and um we we set up nets in the canopy of the trees to catch bats at night that were pollinating we were studying the flowers of a of plants in the brazil nut family mm-hmm. the scientific name is lethosidaceae and the brazil nut family is a it's a big important tropical tree family in the neotropics especially and they have these very complicated flowers that are adapted for different kinds of pollinators. And there's this one flower of a plant that's called Lethesis potoei, 
that has white flowers. And what do you think pollinates that? Something that's not attracted to color. And so it's attracted, it's pollinated by bats. Oh. And it's high up in the canopy and they get the aroma of it. Mm -hmm. So you can't see the color, it doesn't matter. So why would it have pigment? Mm -hmm. Irrelevant, so it's white. And so we put these nets up in the tree at night and came back to collect the bats and study what, and then we let them go. We didn't kill them or collect them. We just took pictures of them and took the pollen off their noses mm -hmm. to confirm that they were getting pollinating this plant. So all these great opportunities I had. I was extremely lucky. And so I got back just to kind of wrap up that train of thought that if anyone would like to go and experience these kind of things, I think, I mean, there's many places to go. Costa Rica is another place, but just my, my place, my vote is French Guiana and Saul and um, you can get some French food down there too, because it is part of France and they do fly stuff in mm -hmm. to the base oh. camp. Nice. Is that where you got your butter for your grease cakes <laughs> or is that oil? Oh, we got oil from, uh, what did we have? Well, you get, you get Brazil nut oil or you can get corn oil. Oh, okay. But um, Brazil nut oil is quite common too. Mm -hmm. But for sure, the sweetener, you don't buy sugar because it would get all, just think about all the moisture in the tropical forest, it become one big block of sugar. Yeah, and it's I'm sure it, it attracts bugs probably. Exactly. So honey is the way, the sweetener to go with. Yeah. And so it, it's totally sweet and you use it anyway, you can use sugar and mm -hmm. just keep it in a jar and, and cork it up. And yeah. But that's your sweetener. Cool. Yeah. I don't know well, if I'll ever eat a I'm sorry cake. about my food answer. No, that's okay. I mean, that, again, was different from Kathleen's. So <laughs> that's kind of the goal. It's cool to see people answer differently. Yeah, well, it's we have different life experiences, you know. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, much different. I feel like Outside of botany, do you find many people that have similar life experiences? Oh, sure. People that study animals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, some totally similar that work in the tropics or, I mean, geologists. I mean, some paleontologists, archaeologists. Mm -hmm. People that like study natural history. Yeah. Go, go where the action is, you know, depending on what the action is for you. The action might be in Greece or Saudi Arabia or Peru, if you're an archeologist, you know? Yeah. Somewhere in the Amazon. Uh, for me, I'm a bot as a botanist, you know, um, it's, where the, it's actually where the diversity was the greatest. Mm -hmm. And I had a great opportunity when I was um, getting my master's degree at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. When I was working on plants in the Southeastern United States for my thesis. There's a group called coil words, which are fern relatives. No one's ever heard of them or seen them. They're very sort of uh, um, not, not obvious, but and they're important. Anyway, so I was working on these plants, but I, was, but I had an opportunity to go to Mexico because one of the professors in the botany department was working on mosses of Mexico for many years, for like his entire career. Mm -hmm. His name was Aaron Sharp. So Dr. Sharp had an opportunity to go to Mexico and he's at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and he's looking for some helpers. And he said, any graduate students that want to go with me to help can go. And we're taking a van and we're going to spend the month of August and whatever year it was, 1970, 
eight or nine, nine mm -hmm. probably, in Mexico. So I said, yeah, sign me up. I want to go see a tropical forest. Yeah. Well, he said, well, Brian, you've, I hate to tell you this, but you got to lose the beard. So I had a beard then. Uh-huh. You know, because we were going down near the border with Guatemala and there was a lot of drug smuggling and insurrection going on. And he was worried that we would get caught up as like revolutionaries and, and mess up his <laughs> field expedition by us radicals being along. Yeah. I wanted to go so much. I lost the beard, but kept the mustache. Same mustache from, well, it used to Whoa, be those. Oh, nice. From 1978. Never shaved since then. <laughs> anyway, so I forgot what the story was. So we go down there to Mexico. And um, what was I talking about? Sorry. The, the moss, the Mexican moss. And the Mexican moss. Yeah. So that was a great opportunity to go to Mexico and and getting and get my feet wet in the Mexican floor. And so if I really, oh yeah, I know, I know, I'm, I'm coming back to it. So right, I was so taken by this immense diversity mm -hmm. because I had been accustomed, I grew up in Tennessee, mm -hmm. right? Which is like, kind of like New York or, or all the continental United States in terms of plant diversity. Every state has, state has things to boast about. I mean, mm -hmm. Hawaii has a lot. I mean, California, big states, sort of tropical ones, Florida for example, mm -hmm. but, oh my gosh, you go to Mexico, it's like a whole nother world. Oh, all wow. Families of plants I never even heard of, or I heard of them, I hadn't seen them. Mm -hmm. this, I didn't know what it was. So it was like a whole new world. So I was so inspired by that trip. This is how like one discreet thing can have such an important impact. I probably could have stayed in Tennessee and been a botanist down there and been just fine. Yeah. But I had this opportunity and it's like a whole nother world opened to me. And so I had this idea, I wanted to be a tropical botanist. So where could I go to get my PhD that would enable that to happen? Mm -hmm. So I researched it and there was like two places, really, I thought. It was the Missouri Botanical Garden affiliated with Washington University in St. Louis mm -hmm. or the New York Botanical Garden affiliated with the City University of New York. Mm -hmm. So I applied to both, hedging my bets. And amazingly, I got admitted to both. Nice. Well, what was nicer was one had a fellowship offer and one did not so mm. i could go to st louis and work at mcdonald's okay. product placement just so you know mm -hmm. thank you that. appreciate that and um and one to new york which was working in the herbarium no product placement because uh that's the new york botanical garden which was the, it was that, that became my life but in my what i was trying to get to in a roundabout way was i picked up on an idea for my application to graduate school. So I knew you had to stand out somehow. You mm -hmm. can't, I mean, the grades are fine. You get G GREs or whatever. They're all, everyone's got great scores and stuff. So you had to like distinguish yourself somehow. So I had the advantage when I was in Knoxville getting my master's of working on a pretty complicated group of pteridophytes, these fern allies called isoides. So they're kind of enigmatic. So I kind of got that under control by using scanning electron micrographs of the spores. Anyway, that was one thing, but okay, that wasn't good enough though. So I had this idea that I want to be a tropical botanist. This is why I want to go to New York and or Missouri when I was applying to both. And I said something along the lines in my essay is that I want to write paragraphs and stories about plants and not sentences and words. 
Mm -hmm. the point what I was trying to get at. That wasn't exactly it. But I was trying to distinguish I work. I could be a temperate botanist and want to find a new species here and there, a new variety here and there, clarify this or that. And yeah. it's great. It's important. Absolutely important. But I was just so blown away with all these tropical plants and all the diversity that I thought this was like the big picture. This is what I was, I was moving uh, out of Memphis in Tennessee and going via New York to the Amazon. Mm -hmm. So that was my thought. And I later got told, and the reason I bring it up, because I, I kind of forgot it, you know, I wrote the essay and I got in and was off to the races, right? But then like years later, some of the older scientists at the botanical garden said, you know, I remember reviewing your, this was a guy that worked on plants in the United States. Mm -hmm. I remember reviewing your application and I, I found it kind of offensive what you said about writing words and sentences about North American plants. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> I didn't say, well, I guess I got in anyway, right? Yeah, exactly. But I, but anyway, my point being that the, the, the construct I invented had resonance even those like decade, two decades later with this guy. Mm -hmm. he was a, so I was kind of offending him, but building myself up with the other people. Right. I wasn't, my goal wasn't to offend anybody. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to make my point that this is my passion and I want to pursue it. And what I can do it is at New York. I could be a botanist in Tennessee. No problem. I go to Arkansas, I go to wherever, mm -hmm. you know? So that's, that's what the advice I give to students in a, in a less, um, verbose version is that you know you need to stand out somehow in applying to things because everyone's got great grades and I mean some better than others but you know mm -hmm. it's kind of all homogenous yeah you start to, to look about write them. something clever mm -hmm. or really be brilliant I wasn't brilliant not not at all brilliant I try to be clever mm -hmm. yeah, that helps definitely Cool. Brian, you gave me a ton of great information. I appreciate it. You want to know it. about more foods? I know some more foods. You want to know what you, you chase a, a can of Vienna sausages with? No, I don't. <laughs> what do you water? Oh, a canteen of water. Just go, just wash it all down. Yeah. Then you're good. I, then you're good till dinner. I've never had Vienna sausages before. I don't recommend it. Yeah. They don't look very appetizing. Well, they're compact yeah and they don't spoil as long as you don't open the can mm -hmm. yeah i think i would opt for the tuna but that's dinner so that's dinner well in french Guiana, you can have monkey if you're so inclined mm. not because they hunt they hunt down there and they hunt spider monkey sometimes that's on the menu you're not forced to eat it but i had it a couple of times I, i'm not proud of it but we're hungry what did it, what did it taste like it's a cliche, but it tastes again like stringy chicken. Well, stringy chicken. You know what? I honestly would probably say that alligator is like stringy chicken. So, yeah, gator. Yeah, some gator. Yeah, I've had quite quite a bit of gator, but I don't know if I'd recommend it. Never had monkey, and I don't think I would unless someone was like. Unless it was their thing and they were like, you must have this monkey. I don't know. I'm not really sure the situation where I would eat monkey. Well, probably when you didn't know it. Yeah, that's true. That's when you'd eat it. Yeah. 
Did you know it was monkey when you ate it? Oh yeah. The, yeah. Um, the French guy who was cooking for us, he was very proud of it. Michel Mode, I'll tell you his name. And it's okay because he's, he's passed on so he can't sue me. But he was, um, he was in the French Foreign Legion as a nurse before he went to French Guiana to kind of be an entrepreneur and run this sort of tourist camp. And we stayed there occasionally. It was kind of our base camp in the town of Saul where we come back and do our laundry and get a cooked meal instead of eating sausages and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so Michelle Mode, he made this thing. He, he, was an, he was an inventive guy, you know, he made, he, he made monkeys sometimes, but he made some things called Christophine. He made Christophine. It was out of a vegetable harvested from the rainforest. It was quite good. Mm -hmm. it was a, a very, very um, carbohydrate rich food. Red snake sometimes. Oh wow! And I'll just—I know you probably have to leave. But I'll finish on my favorite Michelle Mode story okay. because we were staying at this base camp, as I told you, and we wash our—we come back from the day in the forest, and we take our muddy clothes off and take our showers and kind of wash the clothes and, and the towels and hang them up on the edge of the railing by the the cabin we were staying in. You know we. We put our camp clothes on and go about our evening and stuff and, and go out the next day with dry clothes. So this, every day I'd come back and like this was happening for days and days. My towel that I'd hung up after washing the day before was in the, on the ground in the mud mm -hmm. and a sheep had pulled it off <laughs> and like stomped on it. This was the, we call it the, it's the mouton in, in French. Mm -hmm. So the mouton had this thing for my towel. Yeah. And it was, it would really piss me off. Oh and no, so, Michelle killed it. He killed it, didn't he? You knew, you knew this. He said so he became a dinner, it came a dinner item. Oh no. I didn't know it till after the fact. Oh no. It tasted pretty good. Uh, uh, didn't taste like towel. <laughs> I wasn't eating your towel. Well, there was some lint in it. I had to floss. Oh man. That might've been some floss. <laughs> Uh, that's so funny that he was like, "Oh, I'll fix your problem." Well, he didn't. He didn't fix it. He just fix, he just was trying to get dinner. Yeah, you know, he wasn't like trying to help me out. But but that that sheep was like creating grief for me because you know the the laundry services are a little skimpy down there. You know, there's not like yeah. uh, you know it's me washing it down on the rocks in the river. Yeah. So I I needed I would really like at the end of the day. A clean, a clean and dry towel. Yeah. Is that too much to ask? No, not at well, all. It might the have been, I guess the sheep thought so. <laughs> so we had this thing. It's, it's like a, it's a primal, primal battle. Mm -hmm. It's like the tarantula and the wasp. Full circle. Full wow. circle. Wow. That's, that's pretty wild. You and the sheep. And the tarantula versus the wasp. And you won. So you were the wasp. I was in that case the wasp. But the next time I might be the sheep. Well, I hope there's no next time. <laughs> no, but that's the way life works. That's true. That's true. You know, there's winners and losers. And every, and every encounter is a fresh thing. That's true. Well, hopefully the bears in your neck of the woods stay put. Yeah, we got bears. We got coyotes. We got... In the summer, we get rattlesnakes, mm. you know, but it's all pretty tame here. I mean, it's like, it's a little boring, I have to tell you. 
But well, compared to the rainforest, I would say so. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of sort of tame. Yeah. But it's it's cool enough. I mean, it's a little bit um it's a little bit country up here. It's a little rural. I hear I can hear cows and hmm. you know, there's a tractor that goes every by every morning hauling manure mm. to spread on the fields. Yeah. So that's a that's an aromatic um delight. <laughs> delight for breakfast. Yeah. Wafts across the landscape. So it's um yeah, I may have to go down and talk to that guy about his sheep. We may have to have a ah, uh, maybe a little thing. <laughs> Another sheep argument. We have we may have to have a little discussion. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I would love to know the follow-up of that. Um, Brian, this has been great. And your last task is you now have to choose someone to answer the same three questions. It can be anyone you know. Preferably someone that would be willing to be interviewed. Oh, so I guess you could check it out. And if they would be, then you would know. Yeah. Do I tell you? Do I tell you? Do I tell you what are my ideas? Yeah, you tell me. I want you to interview yourself. Whoa. Isn't that wild? That is wild. And it's really funny that you say that. I can't remember the train of thought that I had, but I was. I remember where I I was taking a shower the other day and I was thinking about like interviewing people and I thought, I I don't remember how it came up. And I was like, what if someone told me to interview myself? What would I do? And now I find myself in the predicament. All right. Well, you don't have to, um, you don't have to do it. I'm just, I just thought that was my, I thought that'd be a fun answer. Oh no, I'm going with your first thought. I will interview myself. So now you're going to be talking to yourself. You know, they, there are people that can help you with that. I know. <laughs> I'll give them a call after the interview yeah. for evidence that it's happening. Well, you're going to record it. And so that can be part of the, um, the uh, testimony. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, I will interview myself and I 1000% am not going to have as cool of answers as you, but maybe... I'll think of something, you know, I have no wasp tarantula battle in the backlog of my adventures. Well, you're young. You will. If you go to French Guiana, you will. Yeah. You have a lot of hope for me, Brian. I don't know. I, I feel like, I, I don't know how you did all this. You remind me of, well, I mean, you actually did it and you like, you're the real deal, but you know, Noah and I watched Survivor and they are out you know there's a camera crew and stuff so it's not real but um you know you could be on survivor i think and and take it all if you take well the thing it probably helps not to think about it too much just yeah. do it and then you know if you live to tell about it then it's a great story all right one day i might just rip off the band-aid and go to french Guiana. i'll tell you it's okay well you should actually probably bring some extra band-aids if you go yeah just- <laughs> i will yeah good advice good advice and I'll pack extra tuna so I don't have to have the sausages. You really hate the Vienna sausages, don't you? I can't. I, I've okay. never eaten like a hot dog cold. So thinking about like a little sausage in a can, it's, I don't know. It's, it's keeping me out a little bit. But it's really, if, if that's your lunch and you're looking and it's like 9, 30, 10 in the morning, you really look forward to eating it. And yeah. Then, 
if if I were in your position, I would probably eat dirt, honestly. So I'm sure the sausage was would be a great option. But here in Farmingdale, I feel like I have other options. So I'll take those. You, do. Right. you have the you have the Safeway. Yeah, I have convenience of all the grocery stores. So yeah. Well, Brian, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for doing this. Well, I look forward to hearing uh, the complete uh, trilogy of questions and answers. Yes, exactly. Now I'm mad at you. (laughs) We had previously recorded something and someone took my computer and deleted it. Anyway, um, I'll introduce you first. So Brian tagged me in this episode, and that has not been done before. So I've asked the help of past guest and my husband, current husband, husband, Noah. Noah, how are you? I'm doing good, but more importantly, how are (laughs) you? I'm good. I'm good today. Great. So um, we know that Brian tagged you in this episode. So how do you know Brian? Brian um, is my Aunt Liz's boyfriend, and they have been together for a long time. I don't even know how long. Since I was, like, an early teen, I would say. Maybe even earlier. Hmm. And this episode was started by Kathleen. Do you know Kathleen? Of course. How? I know Kathleen. Kathleen is my aunt by marriage and um i've known kathleen pretty much my entire life i would say i think she i think her and my aunt laura met when i was two so over definitely over 20 years yeah been a long time known kathleen for a while cool so since this is your first time on the show uh, I should ask you, what do you do and where are you from? Introduce yourself. Um, I am from Peekskill, New York is where I was raised. Um, and I currently live on Long Island and, um, I am a master's student for school counseling and then I bartend to make a little money on the side but i will graduate at the end of this year and hopefully be a school counselor very cool so uh since it's your first time i'm gonna you know how the show works i do yeah so here's a little like trailer question to just get you know get you in the mood for answering questions okay so what is your favorite food my favorite food is pasta um i have eaten pasta since i could chew and i don't think i've gone a week without it i may have gone a week without it when i had issues with my gallbladder because i couldn't eat much but even then i'm sure i ate pasta with butter um so yeah, I would say pasta because you can do so much with it. It's ama- It will make any soup better. 
Um, I mean, I could do just butter. I grew up eating pastina for breakfast. Other pastas for breakfast, too. And, um, yeah, I like it in any form from any country. Any any form of pasta or noodle. It's where it's at. Well, you're my first pasta. I don't know if you're the show's first pasta. I don't think you are. I think I am. I can't remember any... I've had people say mac and cheese. And I've had people... I have had someone say ramen. I think Callan said ramen. I think Jordan and maybe Molly said mac and cheese. But I don't remember a pasta. If there was someone... I do apologize. It's okay. I remember. Oh, who? No, I don't. Oh. All right. Are you ready for the real questions? I am. Okay. So what's your favorite book from your childhood? Mm, probably Good Night Moon. It was a classic. My parents used to read it to me. Hey, Beans. Um, and, yeah, I wasn't a big reader, when I was growing up, I don't even know if I would say I'm a big reader now. I enjoy reading, but I probably don't do it as often as someone who is actually an avid reader. I definitely don't. Um, but, yeah, when I'm talking about childhood, I'm thinking about, like, stuff my parents read, and Goodnight Moon was a classic, so I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I read that a lot, too. Personally, or your parents read it to you? Both, and currently. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense. I found it under your pillow. I was like, this is weird. All right. You ready for the next question? Yes. What's a musical album that doesn't get enough respect? Um, okay. I have two answers. The first answer is specific to an artist. So I think that 19 by Adele is her best album. And I find that people never cite that as her best album. They usually say 21 or 25. And now 30. 30 is really good. I mean, they're all good. I think 25 is probably my least favorite. But I would say 19 does not get enough respect, especially because... She is so talented for someone who's so young. And I just think, like, it's very quality songwriting. And musically, it's very different from other things. So, when it comes to Adele, I would say 19. Okay. I'm not a diehard Adele fan. I don't. I couldn't name which songs are on which album. But Well, Chasing Pavements is on 19, which I would say is one of her more famous songs. Or maybe I just think that because I like Adele. I think so. I think it is. Yeah. And that's the song that kind of put her in the mainstream. So I think people like that one. And there's other songs that I think people would know, like, oh, well, now I don't want to, like, say something. But my two favorite songs from that album are probably Daydreamer and First Love. And it's very rare that I hear people play that. So, I don't know. I just feel like that's... I know both of those songs. Well, it's probably because I played them. Did you know them before I played them? Yes. I don't believe you. Well, you're wrong. Where did you hear them? 
I had an iPod growing up. Uh-huh. I listened to Adele. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. 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 Interesting. I'm skeptical because your musical taste pretty much revolves around Ariana Grande, and that's kind of where it stops. Yeah, this was pre-Grande. Oh, that's true. It was pre- Yeah, I never asked you what you listened to before Ariana Grande. Nothing. I didn't listen to music. Get out of here. Adele. Adele? No. No, I didn't listen to anything solely. Like you didn't have a solid fan base for anything? No. You have a very musical family, so I find it hard to believe that you weren't listening to music. No, I was, but a variety. Billy Joel. Of course. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course. My iPod had leftovers from my siblings and all the CDs in the basement, whatever I could find. It was a hand-me-down iPod. Pretty much. Okay. All right. All right. You ready for the last question? Yes. In your version of hell, what's the food that they serve? Deviled eggs. Thematic (laughs) and also bad tasting. That is not... Oh, 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 I thought you meant you want me to give you two answers of the magic answer. No, that well, is... Well, yes, yeah, deviled eggs, hell, but it wasn't, it, the pun was not intended. Um, I think deviled eggs are disgusting. I don't like hard-boiled eggs. They're so smelly, and then I feel like, you know, people usually bring deviled eggs to a party... So they've been sitting for a bit. And so now you have an egg that's hard-boiled. And now it's like a little bit hard because it's been sitting out. And I find that repulsive. And they smell so bad. And people mix the yolk with mayo, which I'm already not a fan of. Oh my gosh. Watching people eat them, it's really hard for me. I just... You know, I don't judge anyone, and I know that probably more people like them than don't, but I think I would definitely gag if I had to eat a deviled egg. I don't want to put any hot takes out there. I don't mind the taste. The smell I can agree with. It's not the best. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Is there a side of anything? I mean, that's kind of like a side. Okay. But uh, with a glass of milk, that would throw me <laughs> overboard. I would, I'd throw up. Oh my gosh. You're throwing up thinking about it right now. Yeah. It's bringing me a lot of uh, pain oh. and sorrow. You look, you look sick. Are you okay? I'm going to have to go. All right. So that wasn't too hard, right? No. Your first time on the show. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. Um, it is interesting being the person being interviewed and I feel like this went quicker than I thought it would. I tried to be letting you interview yourself more. I didn't want to give too much input. I, you know, I went up a few tangents, but I didn't want to I didn't want to steal the show. Yeah, that was something I was really worried about. So thank you so much. Of course. I mean, you know, anything for the pod. Thank you. Noah, it's been a pleasure. Bella, it's been a pleasure. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of Removed. Um, in this episode, I had Kathleen 
Brian and myself interviewed by Noah, and it was definitely an interesting experience. I feel like Kathleen and Brian gave really excellent answers. I learned a lot about people that I thought I already knew, and um, it was interesting being interviewed myself. I do want to point out something that I missed. When I went back in the editing, I realized we never asked Brian what the mating habits of plants were, and that is unfortunate because that is a main reason why Kathleen wanted him on, so we're just going to have to have him back in the future. Thank you again for listening to this episode. If you would like to see more from Remove, check out the Removed Instagram. That's at R3MOVED pod, at Removed pod. And if you like it, you can follow the Instagram. You can rate on iTunes, rate on Spotify, whatever you want to do. Thank you for listening, and I hope you listen again.